listeners, it's episode 150. I love a nice round number, and this one feels worth celebrating. Later this week, we will also be celebrating SSR's third birthday. Imagine me over here doing a happy dance and eating a cupcake to mark the moment. Kicking off this big week in SSR history, we have a conversation about the second book in Francine Pascal's Sweet Valley High series, which is called Secrets and was published in 1983. If you've listened to previous Sweet Valley episodes, you know this one is about to be a wild ride. Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield are definitely known to keep things interesting. In Secrets, Jessica is on a campaign to bring down Elizabeth's new best friend, Enid, by revealing Enid's mysterious past to her boyfriend, Ronnie. In doing so, Jessica hopes that she'll increase her chances of being crowned queen at the upcoming dance. But there's another so-called secret making its way through the hallways of Sweet Valley High, and it has much higher stakes. The students are spreading a rumor about a teacher having an affair with one of their classmates, which is, obviously, putting the teacher's career and reputation and so much more at risk especially because it definitely didn't happen. How will Enid, Elizabeth, and the teacher exact revenge on the people spreading these secrets? Keep listening and you'll find out. On this episode, my guests and I swap our own awkward high school dance and crush memories. We discuss the eternal question, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? We consider why these books were so popular and how they appeal to readers of different ages. We chat about jealous boyfriends, the social hierarchy of Sweet Valley High, and so much more. I will note a trigger warning here, as we chat briefly about an incident in which one of the characters is pushed beyond her consent in an intimate moment with her boyfriend. My guest today is Lacey Walden. Lacey is a writer with her head in the clouds, literally. A flight attendant based in Washington, D.C., Lacey spends her days writing from the jump seat and watching the world for new stories. The Layover is her debut novel and is now available wherever books are sold. Learn more about Lacey's work at LaceyWalden.com and follow her on Instagram at allaboutthat__lace and on Twitter at LaceyWalden. Thanks to Lacey for joining me on episode 150. A big thanks also goes out to each and every one of you for listening. Whether you've been along for the ride for all 150 episodes of SSR or are new to the show, I am grateful that you are here. If you are brand new to the show, you can learn more about me and the podcast by following along on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find SSR on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. Learn more about the SSR Book Club, aka the SSRBC, at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. It's free and a very fun way to get a taste of the experience of being a guest on the podcast. You can support the podcast by leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the episodes you're listening to and loving on social media, recommending the podcast to your friends and loved ones, or joining our Patreon community. As an SSR patron, you'll get newsletters, Patreon parties, bonus episodes, weekly voice notes, SSR merch, and access to SWR, also known as Shit We Read, a quarterly exclusive book club led by me in which we discuss a new book that's actually meant for grown-ups. In July, we are reading The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, and I cannot wait. Plus, when you join Patreon, you have the satisfaction of knowing that for just a few dollars every month, you're supporting this independent podcast. Get all the Patreon details and become a patron at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Shout out to all of the patrons tuning into this episode now. Did you know that June is audiobook month? You learn something new every day. There is no better way to celebrate than with Libro.fm. Libro.fm is an audiobook platform that lets you support indie booksellers instead of giant corporations when you shop for your new reads. This is an extra exciting opportunity if you don't have any brick-and-mortar independent bookshops in your community. The audiobooks are exactly the same as the ones you buy from the big guys, and they come at no extra cost. If you are a Libro.fm newbie, you can get a discount on your first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, then use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site. You'll get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Thanks so much to Libro.fm for continuing to partner with me. And happy audiobook month to you. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading. But if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. 
If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Lacey. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so it's a Sweet Valley Day, and a Sweet Valley Day is always a fun and hilarious and weird and absurd and often sort of offensive day on SSR. <laughs> and I, I feel like these episodes tend to fall in the summertime, which is always really great because I feel like it's there's just something about these conversations and these books that seem, that seem to lend themselves to summer reading. But I would love if you would start this conversation by, I don't know, just like taking me back a little bit to your personal Sweet Valley experiences, if you had them when you were growing up? Like, what do you remember about this series? And why did you want to come back to it for this episode? I loved them so much when I was growing up, which is funny to me now rereading it, because it's so small. But it was like, when I got one, it was like, this is going to provide so much entertainment. Yeah, you're like, this is this is going to keep me busy for weeks. Uh, I should really pace myself because it's going to take a long time. It's a journey. I'm delving into these complex characters, these complex relationships. Here we are. Well, yes. And I don't remember many of the stories, but I remember all of the names. Like I even remembered Bruce's name. Lila Fowler has been embedded in my memory forever. For some reason, I was a very big fan of her. So maybe she's better in other books, but I don't know. It's a good character name, though. I feel like Lila Fowler is a really solid name. I remember when I was in elementary school, there was a girl a couple years older than I was, and her name was Lila. I want to say, like, I don't know. I don't know what her last name was. But I remember thinking that she was so cool because her name was Lila. And she was really pretty and really cool. And I think her dad owned a car dealership. So it really wasn't all that divorced from the Sweet Valley universe. So yeah, I think Lila Fowler is a great character name. Do you remember if you read any of the other series like Sweet Valley Kids or Sweet Valley? I know there was a middle school one or were you mostly like a Sweet Valley High kind of girl? No, it's funny because when we were talking about books to do, I feel like I pretty much now there were some exceptions like Harriet the Spy was amazing, but I pretty much jumped straight to the teenage years. It seemed like that's when all the real action was happening. So uh, yeah, no, I didn't have any interest in the smaller grades. Yeah, I think I read a lot of the high school books when I was in elementary school too, which is sort of weird when I think about it. Like, it's interesting that all of those books were just like casually available at my elementary school library, because I don't think I read many of the Sweet Valley kids. Like, I feel like I came upon them when they were the only books available, but I definitely leaned toward the high school books. So this is, of course, like the question that I have to ask about any Sweet Valley book before we really get into a conversation. And it's going to help you and I get to know each other a little bit. People don't always love when I ask this question because I know it's like a little reductive, but Jessica or Elizabeth? Well, I would have said before rereading it, Jessica, because she was way more fun and Elizabeth always did the right thing. But in this book, she was pretty much a sociopath. So I don't love that. That's my answer. (laughs) Well, I was always an Elizabeth. I think I like very much felt when I reread the first Sweet Valley book that we did for the podcast, like, okay, I'm still going to feel really good about being Elizabeth, Elizabeth forever. But (laughs) then I started reading these books. I think this is now the fourth or fifth one that we've done on the podcast. And I'll be sure to link to all the other Sweet Valley episodes in the show notes, listeners, if you want to go check them out. But like Elizabeth kind of sucks too in her (laughs) own way. So like, there's, there's just a lot of gray area with both of these characters with both of the Wakefield twins. And I think that that's what each and every guest on these Sweet Valley episodes has learned. Jessica, Elizabeth, neither one is like an easy or a great choice in that like, ultimate question, Jessica or Elizabeth. So it's complicated. It really, uh, it just complicates all the things that we thought about ourselves when we were young. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I honestly, rereading it, I was like, why was I such a Jessica fan? But it was so obvious. Like Elizabeth was just by the book and Jessica was getting it done. Like she knew what experience she wanted to have and she was going to create that. But then I read this one and she was, I mean, it's one thing to like find the letter and be like, okay, this serves me, so I'm going to do this. But then going and like lying to Enid about her sister and everything, I was like, oh my gosh, this is next level manipulation. And I wasn't quite as impressed this time around. (laughs) 
not impressed with your behavior. Yeah, you used the word sociopath before, and I think I had that written several times in the margins of this book. And I actually found like several think pieces about Sweet Valley that use the word sociopath to describe Jessica. So you're not alone there. Let's talk a little bit about this book. So it's called Secrets. It's the second book in the Sweet Valley High series. Listeners, I've sort of done my whole run through of Sweet Valley history a couple of times, but top line points, the series started in 1983 and ran for about 20 years. There were a total of 181 books, which is wild. And then of course, there are the spinoff series. We talked about Sweet Valley Kids. There was Sweet Valley Twins, which was the middle school series, the Unicorn Club. And the series is attributed to Francine Pascal, but she sort of presided over a team of ghostwriters. So she didn't actually write these books herself. She put together these outlines that actually weren't even like chapter by chapter. They were kind of put together in acts. And so she was like the the mind, the genius, you might say, behind all of these stories. But she presided over ghostwriters who actually did the writing. So Secrets, as I mentioned, is the second book in the series. It was published in 1984, a year after the series itself launched. And I would say that this really feels like a Jessica book. I think that each one of these books like kind of leans toward a Jessica story or an Elizabeth story. And this one to me felt more Jessica and it picks up right where the first book left off. It's been about two years since we covered the first book in the series. But if I'm not mistaken, that's more of an Elizabeth book. So I do feel like Jessica is kind of taking back power in book two, which is exactly what Jessica would want to do. She loves the power. So what were your first impressions of Jessica as we're getting to know her? I just have to read one line from the first page because it made me lull. And you can't, you just can't talk about Sweet Valley without talking about the way that these girls are described in the early pages of the book. So on page one, we get, Jessica was, as usual, too gorgeous for words. Her sun-colored hair shimmered about tan shoulders left bare by the silky Hawaiian print sundress that perfectly complemented her blue-green eyes. A bewitching smile on her lovely oval face usually completed the picture of perfection. The only trouble was she wasn't smiling right now. But don't worry, listeners, she's still hot. That's just my side note. (laughs) Um, But what were your thoughts on Jessica, Lacey? Well, it's so funny. I did notice the way they described them. And even their mom was like perfection personified. And it's cheesy, but also like I could see them. Like, it's funny that you said that about it being just created by Francine Pascal. I actually knew that down the road, but I thought the original books were by her. And then, you know, once it got to like 40 and 50 and 60, it was other authors because they did seem to change a bit. But reading this, I was like, this reads more like a screenplay. And I could see these Barbie dolls personified. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that it reads like a screenplay. I think her background was in um, soap operas, actually. Like, I think she worked with her husband maybe on writing soap operas. At this point, I've read so many different Francine Pascal like recaps and histories that I do tend to lose track of some of it. But she definitely had some experience with writing soaps. And I think she was like in the process of pitching some other soaps when she started Sweet Valley. And so it like makes sense that these books read sort of like teen soap operas. Yeah. So the current drama that Jessica is dealing with when we meet her again in this book is the big fall dance. And all that Jessica wants is to become the queen of the fall dance. And and we learn that the dance is two weeks away and that whoever wins this queen title gets to sort of like preside at every single social function at school for the rest of the year or the semester. And not only does Jessica want to be crowned queen, but it's really important to her that one Bruce Patman is named king because he is like the most sought after boy at school. He's a senior. And Jessica is like, okay, well, if I can become queen and if he can become king, then all of my dreams will come true. Do you have any memory of like these kinds of moments for yourself in high school? Like were like the prom king or like prom queen, homecoming queen, was that all a big deal at your school? Do you remember all of that? Yeah, I mean, it was a big deal. We I went to school with 4,000 kids. So we had four different principals. It was our school was divided into north, south, east and west and each one had a principal and it was kind of like four mini schools all functioning under the same roof. So it was a big deal because you got nominated for the different schools so there were more nominees and yeah, I cared, but I relate more to the 
this guy is perfect for unknown reasons. And <laughs> if I could get him and we could hang out all the time, my high school experience would be magical. Even though I do not know that I have one single thing to talk to him about. I really relate to that. Oh, for sure. So when I was a senior, I was on homecoming court, which was like a big surprise. Because as I always say, like, I wasn't popular, but I was well liked. And I was like, very involved in a lot of things, which I think like, by the time senior year rolls around, people recognize that like, oh, like, that's a cool thing, too, even if she's not like the hottest, most popular girl in school. So and it's very Elizabeth of you. I told you I'm a full <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> So not to brag or anything, but I was on homecoming court and the boy that I had been in love with for all of high school, who was way more popular than I could ever have hoped to be, he was also on homecoming court. And I was like, okay, this is it. Like it's happening. It's happening. Like it's all happening. Even if I do not win, which I probably won't. And spoiler alert, I didn't. I'm going to get to hang out with him because of course there were all these different like events leading up to it. We had to ride in this parade and like all this stuff. So at the homecoming dance, like right before they announced who the winners were, we all were called up to this weird like little closet, I guess, so that we could like then like make our awkward entrance. <laughs> and I somehow, no, it wasn't a closet. I don't know. We were in, we were like corralled in a, in a spot. And I was so excited because I somehow wound up like just really standing, standing really close to this guy. And everybody else was talking among themselves. And so I was like, okay, like we have to talk to each other. This is my moment. <laughs> here Again, like here we are. And he did talk to me, like he initiated the conversation. And again, this is my moment. And after we exchanged like a couple of pleasantries, I was like, so like, what do we talk about now? And so I totally relate to that where it was like, okay, like for four years of my life, I have been pinning all of my hopes and dreams onto this person who is a perfectly nice guy. And so I'm not saying this at all to be critical of him. But I just think it's so interesting that like, I don't know why I was into him. I don't know why he seemed so perfect to me. And then when we started talking, when we finally had an opportunity to connect, and like, there was no reason that we couldn't have, we just didn't really have anything to say to each other. Yes, I have had it. I had that same experience with a guy I was like, so into and I finally went on a double date with him and nothing we had could not have had less to talk about and um, actually to the homecoming dance I had a my freshman year I had a crazy crush on this guy that I had actually had a crush on through different parts of like younger grades when we happened to be in the same school but freshman year we were in the same one and he invited me to the homecoming dance and I was oh so yes I was so excited and then he just like didn't call or didn't show or anything. And like when I talked to him about it after, he's like, oh, yeah, like I was just talking about it. I don't know. It was so casual. Like, so like, oh, yeah, did you think that was really going to happen? And luckily, I kind of figured it out at the game beforehand. Like, oh, I haven't heard from him. This isn't going to happen. And some I've, I ran into another guy who invited me. And so I got to go to the dance with him. So I could at least convince myself, oh, yeah, I'm casual about it, too. But I wasn't. I was super sad. And I listened to a lot of boys to men <laughs> to drown my sorrows. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. I mean, mm -hmm. if it's boys to men, like you got to get to the other side of it. Wow. That is like from a movie. I'm so sorry that he was not taking it seriously. I don't appreciate that on your behalf. I don't appreciate that on my behalf either. Thankfully, that was kind of the end for me. Like I had kind of built this narrative about who he was. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't mean. It wasn't like, it was more like he was so casual about it that it was so easy for him to just forget it. But then I was like, oh, nothing about me is casual. So I should probably let that one go. And I was able to walk away from that crush. Thank goodness. That's like a good lesson though, early on, I think like, everybody has to go through something like that. And maybe it's better when you're younger. I don't know. But I am curious, like, I don't remember what happens later in this series, if and when Jessica and Bruce do wind up together. But I do wonder like what actually happens if they really have that much in common. But I believe that Jessica will like make them have things in common. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I know I was thinking that when I was finishing this up, I was like, I have zero interest in sitting down and reading more of these books and finding them and accumulating them. But also, I don't really know how I'm supposed to continue my life without knowing if Jessica and Bruce get together at some point. So yeah, I mean, how do we go on? I don't know. Right, right. Maybe some of your listeners can tell tell us if they get together 
and if it's a rip roaring success. Cause I, I feel confident that it's not, but I still want to know that it happened. We need to know all of the steps that happen that make it not a rip roaring success. Like we want all the anecdotes and all of the awkward moments. So are you saying that we need to read 130 of these books? Is that what I'm hearing from you? I mean, Lacey, if you'd ever like to read 100 more, you know that I'm your girl. <laughs> I'm sure that I will have to read at least 10 more. I'm sorry, not have to. I will get to read at least 10 more for this Right, content. right, right. Okay. Yeah. And if you'd ever like to participate, please just let me know. You know I'm always here. Book club. Book club. Yeah. Okay. So stage is set with the big dance. And then we kind of shift our attention to Elizabeth, the other twin, of course, the twin that I, at least in my younger years, identified with most. And she is talking to her friend, Enid. And I did want to read this quote about Enid that I found in a story about Sweet Valley from BuzzFeed. The author writes this, around Jessica and Elizabeth were a clutch of friends strategically placed above or below the twins in terms of looks, popularity, wealth, and social status. Lila Fowler, Jess's filthy rich bestie, was a classic mean girl who loved Jessica as much as she loved competing with her. Enid Rollins, the only other Enid of my life, was the British children's author Enid Blyton, so naturally I was immediately on board with her, was Elizabeth's bestie. Enid had a shady past, but she was now a sensible, supportive brunette of non-threatening, read, lower socioeconomic status, whom I have thought about a lot over the years because, well, was she a little bit in love with Elizabeth? So yeah, that's like a little bit about Enid. And in this book, we find out about Enid's shady past because I have come across Enid in a couple of the other installments that I've read for the podcast. And like, there's no sign of Enid's shady past. And so we finally get all the details. And she is just like confessing her deepest, darkest secrets to Elizabeth in this moment. And I, first of all, I was like, okay, how long have they been friends? Because how would this not have come up? Right. So basically what happened, and I'm like a little unclear on the details, but Enid says that she had drifted in with a bad crowd and gotten involved with a boy named George Warren. They'd gone from drinking to drugs, trying just about everything that came their way, which sounds like super dramatic and 80s and like very like after school special vibes. (laughs) And so again, like I'm sort of unclear on the details, but what seems to have happened and I guess this is like before Enid moved to Sweet Valley or like they started at this school, she was arrested because she and George, she and George were joyriding stoned in his car. And after the arrest, she was put on probation and she went through a drug counseling program. But I guess she was like released while George was still in some sort of custody. He's like still on the inside in some way. (laughs) While Enid emerges from the experience, a different person Is that all like lining up with what you were understanding of this situation? Yeah. So they hit a kid. That was the big culminating thing and could have killed him. So my guess is that George was driving. So he got more trouble and maybe that's why he had to be on the inside. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm assuming it had to be in Sweet Valley because he's coming back there. I don't know how the town all missed that this dramatic occurrence. Cause I feel like even in Nashville, people would have been like, hey, these two teenagers hit a kid, like remember their names. So I don't know how that all lines up. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. I was like, I guess Elizabeth has just never heard of this. Like, cause today, obviously, like we would have heard about this. It would have been online, it would have been on the local news. We probably would have seen headlines about it on social media, but maybe the Wakefields just live in a little bit of a bubble. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But yeah, it's just coming out now that Enid has had this like transformative experience and that she's changed a lot from her old self. and. Her biggest concern about all of this is that she's going to lose her boyfriend, Ronnie. And I don't know about you, but I picked up on some major red flags with Ronnie before we even meet him in this conversation that Enid is having with Elizabeth, where she's like freaking out about Ronnie's reaction to this news. Am I alone there? Did you get any red flags about him? Yeah, they had Elizabeth. And of course you would pick up because of your Elizabeth leanings. They had Elizabeth noting like red flags from the get-go. But I did not expect him to be so aggressive when he found out. Like his way of dealing with it was very like angry and kind of sexually aggressive. And that was a surprise to me. All of this was a surprise to me. I remembered everything being a little more G-rated. So I would have thought her shady past was like, like skimming the top off a lemonade stand sale, you know? Like (laughs) I did not expect like George to casually throw out the word benzos. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I noticed the red flags. 
Yeah, it was just weird the way Enid was talking about Ronnie. Like she was like, you don't understand. He expects 100% of my attention if he knew about George. Because not only does Ronnie not know about Enid's history, but he also doesn't know that Enid is still in touch with this guy, George. And they're writing letters because it's 1984. And the thing that was weird to me, at least, was like, we get a chance to read some of the letters and there's not really anything like super heavy or incriminating about them. Like Ronnie has to be a super like, aggressive guy, I think, to be as upset about these letters as he is, especially because he doesn't even see Enid's letters. Like all of these letters are just from George. And it's like, I was like, you know, I get if he were upset because Enid was writing these letters and was like, I love you. I can't wait to see you. I miss you. Or even if she was saying like, I'm looking forward to you being back so we can talk. But there's no sense that like she's actually like returning his letters with any sort of fondness. Like we just know that George is writing to her and it seems like mostly friendly with like, like an extra touch of enthusiasm from him. Yeah. I think it's a really good point that he doesn't see in his letters. I didn't think of that. I will admit, and I know that I should not say this aloud, but I will admit there are a lot of things about him that I was like, no, hard no, like him getting so mad because she talked to a waiter and da da da. All that is just inarguable. But even now as an adult, if I found out that my husband was still keeping in regular friendly contact with somebody he used to make out with, and perhaps more, I would be like, don't love that you're doing that and really don't love that you're doing it behind my back. Like, if this is a friend of yours, then maybe I should meet her as well. Like, maybe I should know what's going on in these conversations. So maybe I've got a little Ronnie in me. I don't know, but. No, I don't think that's unfair. I think you're right. I think that if I like happen to find some emails that like one of my husband's like ex-girlfriends sent him, even if I didn't know that he was responding, I would be like, well, it's interesting that you didn't think it was important to let me know that like you were getting an email from her. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah. And there was a little bit of a disconnect because when he was confronting her, he knew all the details. Like he knew that they'd been writing each other for two years. So it seems like he did have more detail than one letter would provide. I mean, maybe Jessica told him stuff. She was telling everybody else stuff. Yeah. I mean, who knows with her? So basically, Jessica's role in all of this is that after Enid confides to Elizabeth about the letters and about her relationship with George and her like, you know, quote, shady past, she accidentally leaves one of the letters under her bed. And Jessica, who we learned likes to hang out in Elizabeth's room because it's cleaner, hilarious, sees it and she makes a photocopy of it and leaves it in Ronnie's locker because I guess Enid presents like a major threat to her run for queen of the dance, which surprised me only because I feel like we don't have enough information about Enid to indicate that she's like that popular. But she also is like really jealous of Enid because she feels like she's monopolizing Elizabeth's time. So she's like basically on an anti-Enid campaign and she decides that she's going to use this letter to like get back at her or like just wreak general havoc in Enid's life. And so that's how Ronnie finds out. And the fact that Ronnie knows comes out on this double date that Elizabeth and Enid are on with their boyfriends. And as you kind of referenced earlier, Lacey, like Ronnie gets pretty scary after their date. So like Elizabeth can tell that things are kind of awkward when they're at the movie. And then we sort of follow Enid after they leave Elizabeth and her boyfriend Todd. And at first she's really excited because Ronnie is like, do you want to go park somewhere? Which is like validation for her because he still wants to hook up. But then he like really forces himself on her. And it's, it's pretty clear that he's assaulting her. Like she says several times, like, no, can you chill? And he is like, certainly not interested in her consent at all. I'm wondering if maybe that's what so was so addictive. Okay, it might have just been lack of anything like it that made these books so addictive when I was younger. But there is also something really like comparing this YA to the YA that's out today that's so like uber realistic. And I mean, maybe that's why this was so interesting, because it is like their appearances and their world is so like shiny and shallow but then there are moments like that where like you would expect in this world for him to confront her and then them to have an argument but instead he had this like really dark reaction of acting like everything was okay 
okay just enough. Like she knew something was wrong, but acting like everything was okay just enough to kind of keep it going. And then to push her and push her and push her, especially like sexually in the end, and then be like, when she finally freaks out to be like, what, you can give it to George, but not me? Like, that's such a dark reaction to this. And maybe that's what makes these, made these books so popular is that they're deceiving with their shallowness. And then there are moments of like these dark human instincts. I think that's a really good point. And I also wonder, like, depending on the age at which somebody reads these books, how much you pick up on, because I don't remember reading this one in particular when I was a kid. And as listeners know, because I've talked about it before, I didn't read the series in order. It was all sort of dependent on what was at the library. I would just like pluck them off the shelf. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the beauty of this series is that like you don't really have to read them in order because you always within the first chapter get the intro to the Wakefields and you find out what they look like and you find out that like Jessica is the wild twin and Elizabeth is the studious twin, like et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that like if I'd read this book, in the rough like time period when I was reading Sweet Valley, which was when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old, I probably would have missed this whole thing. When I come back to it as an adult, I'm like, this is actually like a pretty significant moment. Um, And so I do think there's like something interesting about the way these books are written to kind of meet kids where they are. And I'm not really sure how I feel about it because I do feel like I wish there was like a little bit more context for younger kids who might read this And I don't know how many younger kids are reading this in 2021, but I do kind of like wonder if there's room for like a little bit more context so that kids understand like, oh, what's happening is like dangerous and wrong. But I also think that there is some like skill in writing a book that somehow manages to like meet an eight or nine or a 10 year old at a place that's just like, this is glamorous. And like, isn't this sort of aspirational? But then at like, it meets an older audience with like a little bit more intensity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were moments that I was impressed. Like you were talking about what Jessica's deal is with Enid. And it was like this slow, like at first you think, oh, it's just because Enid is dating Ronnie who could, who has the sway to get her elected as this queen that Jessica wants to be. But then it slowly comes out. Oh, she's also jealous of all the time that Elizabeth spends with her. And then it also comes out after that. She was friends with Enid first and Enid preferred Elizabeth. So not only is Enid taking stuff from her, but she also found her unworthy. And I mean, that's pretty skilled for something that seems so candy-ish and glossy. Yeah. And the book is only 116 pages and it's a tiny little trim size. So she really does manage to pack a lot into a pretty short book. Mm -hmm. So for me, things get like really dark and manipulative with this whole scenario when Jessica just like continues to involve herself. So after Ronnie makes it clear that he knows about George and he effectively breaks up with Enid, he like makes up some BS excuse that like he can't go to the dance with her anymore, which is as good as breaking up, you know, right off the bat there. And then they have a really like just like rough end to that date night. Jessica just inserts herself further. So Enid is, of course, convinced that Elizabeth is responsible for telling Ronnie her secrets because she is the only one who has seen the letter. She's the only one at school who knows about Enid's past. Um, And so she just like ghosts Elizabeth. She stops answering her phone calls. She won't even come down the stairs when Elizabeth goes to her house and Elizabeth is freaking out. And so she like talks to Jessica about it and is like, I'm really upset. My best friend isn't speaking to me. And this is where I'm like, I think Jessica is sort of a sociopath. So she starts like saying things to Elizabeth. She's like, how could she accuse you of such a thing? There must have been some mistake. Enid probably let it slip out about the letters herself. And now she wants to blame someone else. I always knew she was just using you, Lizzie. I saw right through her from the very beginning. You're better off without her. And it's like, girlfriend, your sister is upset. She's emotional. Like she's coming to you because she's having major drama with her best friend. It's your fault. And you can't even just like quietly nod and listen. You have to like feed into it and be like, how dare she? Yeah, that's totally where she lost me too. Like the letter, I was like, well, she's a, I mean, we know she's a selfish teenager, da, da, da. And then even like when she goes after Ronnie, I'm like, well, there's a purpose there. It suits her. But like that moment with her sister where she's like talking her, like 
she's like winding her up. And then also she's like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to go talk to Enid for you. And then she goes to Enid and lies her face off. And she's like, Elizabeth didn't mean to do it. But you know, <laughs> like, it was so terrible. Yeah, I sort of like lost track of the tangled web she was weaving because she goes to talk to Enid. And then she goes to talk to Ronnie. Like she is just getting herself involved in this situation so far beyond what's appropriate and manipulating everyone to get what she wants. She ends up like getting Ronnie to ask her to the dance because she realizes like it's not going to happen with Bruce. He's going with someone else. And it's just like out of control. She has no boundaries. Mm -mm. But I thought Elizabeth's response to it all was brilliant. Oh, yeah. So Elizabeth is like, I'm not going to let this stand any further. So she does end up finding out that it was Jessica because she sees like the letter in Jessica's room, I think, or maybe it's still under her bed. But like in any case, Elizabeth puts the pieces together and is like, okay, this is clearly like a Jessica thing. She photocopied this letter and gave it to Ronnie. Um, and like the coolest part about Elizabeth is that she like doesn't immediately tell Jessica that she knows. Like she lets Jessica like continue to ride out the excitement of getting ready for the dance. She's like getting ready. She's so excited that people are calling her sexy and her outfit. Like the description of her outfit was so 90s. I guess so 80s actually. I loved it. And Elizabeth just is like waiting for the right moment to let her know. And basically like at the dance, Elizabeth starts spreading a rumor that Jessica really wants this other guy named Winston Egbert to win King. And she tells this girl, Caroline, who's like the one of the school gossips. And so Caroline like gets the word out. And um, at the end of the book, Jessica is named Queen, but Bruce Patman is not named King. And this guy, Winston, is named King. Um, and that was all sort of engineered by Elizabeth. And um, yeah, I thought that that was like a pretty good response. There was one moment that I pulled out where the author writes, just like someone else is about to get what she deserves, Elizabeth thought as she caught a glimpse of her sister flirting with Bruce Patman. Like they're just so, like they're so mean to each other. It's just constant warfare between the two of them, which I think sort of breaks the mold of a lot of like other twin stories that we're sometimes used to seeing in which twins are just like so good to each other and like so attached so this is definitely like a different take on twins what did you think about Jessica's response to Winston being named king because I had like some very mixed feelings about that part of it well I wasn't surprised like I loved the fact that he it wasn't just the two of them on stage end of it's like now they have to do every activity together over the next few weeks. And he's like totally into her and she can't help it. Like she wants him to be into her. So she wasn't, I don't think she was really going to be mean to him anyway, because she needs everybody to love her. But I liked that Elizabeth was able to make her have to be nice to him. Yeah, that's true. I think I have trouble getting a read on Winston and maybe I just need to like continue to read more of these books. You know, Lacey, we're going to read a hundred more. Um, <laughs> I think I have trouble getting a read on him because I can't tell if he's like super geeky or if he is just like not uncool, but sort of like dopey and annoying. Like I, it's hard for me to figure out because I do feel like Jessica is nice enough to him that he must not be like completely unattractive to her, but he seems just like kind of annoying and, uh, I don't know. I think that's hard for me. She named him Winston Egbert. So I think he's pretty geeky. Yeah, I just like, I feel like I don't understand who he hangs out with. Like, I don't know. It's just like hard for me to like sort him into the Sweet Valley social structure. But it also feels like there's nobody in Sweet Valley that's like patently uncool. So maybe that's also where I'm getting like held up. Like it feels <laughs> like even the like least cool person in Sweet Valley is still like as hot as the hottest person at my high school, but just like not cool by Jessica's standards. So maybe that's where I'm getting confused. Yes, that's valid. And he's friends with Elizabeth's boyfriend. I like that they took the time to like, like we saw him trying to help her with her necklace. Like he's clearly a good guy, but I like also that they took the time to have Elizabeth talk to him and realize he's shy. But when he does talk, he is nice and has interesting things to say. So you were kind of team Winston by the time all that happened. Yeah. And I think that's why I had complicated feelings about the ending because I was so happy that Jessica got what she deserved. But I like was upset that Winston was sort of collateral damage because she just like her whole inner monologue in these last few pages is like, 
Winston is terrible. Like I pulled out a couple of quotes, one of which says, I'll get you for this, Liz. She raged inwardly. Oh, wait, here's another one. Jessica approached the stage as if she were about to be beheaded. It was so unfair. Why couldn't Enid have been the one to be stuck with Winston? Of course, she knew perfectly well why, but that didn't stop her from feeling a flood of resentment. This was supposed to have been the happiest moment of her life, and it would have been if only Bruce were here at her side. And obviously Jessica is just like dramatic, and this is like a teen soap opera kind of book, so that's what we expect. But I think like because I had developed such a soft spot for Winston, even though I was like a little bit confused about him, I was like, hey, like, I wish that Winston weren't like, I don't know, looking even sillier because of the way that this is all coming together at the end. But she's been blowing him off forever and he's still feeling it. So I think he was happy to be up there and they get to hang out. Like, I think he's going to be happy to hang out with her. And maybe, I mean, maybe in book five, they're hanging out at some homecoming stuff and she starts to have feelings for him. And then maybe he's like, oh no, now I know you're terrible. And she gets, I can't think of the word, but she gets her just deserves again. It flips. Yeah, I love that idea. So if anybody is looking for an author to do a reboot of Sweet Valley, (laughs) call Lacey Walden. I'll include all of her social media handles in the show notes uh, because I think you have some great ideas, Lacey. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. If it's about the Sweet Valley um, revival, you can just call me directly. Great. Your people should call Lacey's people. I think it's Mm going to be awesome. So this whole Enid situation is one of the secrets that the title of this book references. But there's another secret that I want to make sure we talk about before we start to wind down this conversation. And this is a much more adult secret. And I'm really anxious to get your take on it, Lacey. So the other big secret that is just like burning its way through Sweet Valley High in this book is that um, the French teacher, Ms. Dalton, is having an affair with a student named Ken Matthews which is another example of a plot line where I'm like, I totally would have not understood the significance of this if I had read this particular book when I was a kid. Like, this is a huge deal. This is heavy stuff. This is high stakes. This is like grounds for ruining somebody's life. What did you think about all of this? And I do think we read this differently in 2021, of course, just because of all of the stories that have come out since this book was written. We understand these kinds of things so much differently now. But I guess I'm curious, like, What are your thoughts on this whole plot line in the book? Yeah, it's crazy because it's just totally a side note, but it's such a big deal. I'm interested to see if they flesh it out more in like another book or if that was really it. But I think you're right. Like it would have at the time it would have been like, oh, that's terrible for her. But like now you've seen it play out enough times that, you know, oh, she could lose her job. She might never teach again. Like she spent her whole life trying to become a teacher. And now she might have to go and do an entirely different job because of one rumor. Like it is life ruining to people. Yeah. And the kids are just like excited that it's spicing things up. Like I think Jessica at one point does say like, oh, it was great because this was keeping things interesting at school. Mm -hmm. This has the potential to totally ruin Ms. Dalton's reputation. And there's also some interesting dynamics at play because Ms. Dalton is dating Lila Fowler's dad. And Lila has some really like slut shamey things to say about how like Ms. Dalton was like throwing herself at her dad and how she's clearly only into him for his money. So she's behind a lot of it. Like she's spreading the rumors and she was supposed to go to the dance with Ken, who is the student who's kind of implicated in this whole rumor. And he thankfully breaks that date. So I was happy to see Lila get some justice served to her there. But I don't know, this whole plot line was really interesting. And there is one point at which like Ms. Dalton says, like, I'm seriously thinking about resigning, which is so major. Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't know how you continue to like go to a school where you're being accused of that. No, definitely not. It was like very upsetting for me. I was so mad on her behalf. Yeah, I do. I do think you're right. Like the different ages you read it. Like I think when I read this for the first time, I would have definitely been more focused on Lila is upset because her dad doesn't have any time for her. And now Mm. like he already didn't have enough time. And now there's just another woman that she's competing for time with. And I think I would have been way more focused on that than how this teacher's life is being ruined. And it's interesting because Ken's life was pretty unchanged, but she just stopped going to school. And and then was the implication in the end that she was Because somebody, the rumor was that Lila's dad had broken it off with her, but that was never confirmed. But then she went to the dance and like had this lovely moment with the hot teacher, of course. Um, Of course, he's hot. Of course. 
He lives in Sweet Valley. Did you think he wouldn't be hot? Right, right. That's on the application process to buy a house there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely to be a teacher there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, did you get the impression that she was kind of moving on from Lila's dad into teacher territory? Yeah, I was sort of unclear on how true the rumors about ending things with Lila's dad were, but I did feel like she had this moment of like, here I am and I look great now at the dance, which I do feel tends to like hint at the fact that she's moving forward past Mm -hmm. him and like obviously trying to move through all of this drama and leave it behind. So I did like that. Like I like that she was modeling for Enid, especially that like, even if you are at the center of rumors and even if people are gossiping about you, like you still have to put your best foot forward and like not feed the gossip. Um, I thought that was pretty cool of her. Yeah. Hey, I don't know. We haven't built up to this. I don't know if we're giving spoilers, but did you um, find it so amusing when George showed up and then they just kiss like in front of her parents and everything? It was like, oh, yes. Now we're attracted to each other and we shall kiss. It was so weird to me. It was so weird. So Enid is like at home because she doesn't have a date to dance. And yet George conveniently walks in. And he's hot now. And not only is he hot, but he's like a good student. He's going to college. Like he's left all of his bad boy ways behind. Bad boy ways behind. Yeah. And he like, they're in love. Like they're immediately in love. They kiss. He's taking her to the dance. And I also thought it was sort of weird that like when he came, when he shows up at her house, he's like, FYI, like you were my reason. Like you're the only reason that I came through this. Like your example helped me to shape up and like, I just wanted to like come through this situation so that we could be together again. And I was like, that's so much pressure. Like, I think if I were 15 or 16 and somebody said that to me, I might think it was romantic, but I also might be like, uh, I don't know. This is, this feels really scary that like you're putting so much pressure on me and on this relationship that like we haven't had in a couple of years. I don't know. It all was just so intense and so fast. Yeah, but it was not intense in the scene. It was very much like, I have showed up to take you to the dance. I thought maybe you wouldn't have. And then, I mean, I have to admit, I was a little bit like, first of all, I was a little horrified that like after two years of not seeing each other, like they just start kissing in front of her parents. And then also I was like, so what was the tone of these letters? Like maybe Ronnie did have something to be worried about. Like if you could so quickly switch over to I'm making out with you now. Yeah, I had the same thought. I also wasn't sure like how long, how long Enid and Ronnie had been together. Like I just needed more information about all of that because she did seem to to be able to turn her feelings for Ronnie off very quickly. And move on. Yeah. I mean, now there's no excusing Ronnie. He was clearly bad. He was clearly very possessive and jealous and not a good boyfriend. However, like her, I'm gonna lose him, I'm gonna lose him, I'm gonna lose him. Hi, George was a bit much. Yeah, it was a roller coaster ride for sure. And we were on it with Enid. So on the whole, Lacey, how does this experience reading the second book in the Sweet Valley series compare to your memories of the series when you were a kid? Does it hold up? Was it disappointing? I guess I just kind of want to hear like your general thoughts on the experience of coming back to it. It doesn't hold up, honestly. And I think also because I still like YA and I still read a lot of YA and YA is so dense and realistic now that this felt, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Like I'm reading Sweet Valley High and I'm thinking I must have read this in middle school, but that's probably not true. I was probably reading it at like eight, but I just remember getting these books from the library, like you said, and they were so much thicker than my other kids' books. And it was just like a guaranteed different world immersion and this felt like a thin screenplay but then the more we talk about it the more i'm like well i clearly like was there like i remember all the details and and feeling passionate about it so maybe it's still great yeah i mean it's definitely there's a lot going on there's a lot to discuss lots of i i do think it's like worth noting that like she has multiple secrets swirling around like I think there was a complexity to this one that maybe I missed in some of the other Sweet Valley books that we've done for the podcast I liked that there were these two different plots going on at the same time I thought it was cool that like depending on how old you are when you're coming to this book you might like latch on to different secrets and like different parts of each secret but yeah I mean I as I've said on other Sweet Valley episodes there's like so much about this series that doesn't hold up for me and just like 
feels so strange relative to our 2021 sensibilities and it doesn't make it any less fun to like parse it but definitely like a weird experience to come back to these especially because I I know that when I was a kid these were aspirational so it's like weird to come back and be like oh like this was this is something that I aspired to be when I was little and now I'm reading it and I'm like there's a lot of issues here yeah, like they're kind of terrible people. Um, yeah. It was funny to me. I had totally forgotten about the sorority aspect. And I yeah. was like, well, she is just tossing in. I mean, the people are perfect. Like they're so popular. Now there's a sorority. Like it's pretty much everything to make it, like you said, aspirational. Every She threw everything possible in there to do that. Yeah, everything, everything to make you cool all in one book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than Secrets from Sweet Valley High, what have you been reading lately, Lacey, that you would recommend to our listeners? I have actually been on a little bit of a YA kick, maybe because of this. And um, oh, I read one. It's older, but it's, it only happens in the movie by like Holly Bourne, I think maybe mm-hmm. it is. It's a, I think she's an English writer, but it was fantastic. And then I followed that up with Today, Tonight, Tomorrow by Rachel Lynn Solomon. And it was fantastic. So that was my little YA kick. And um, yeah, I've been reading a lot in my genre lately. I've recently discovered Beth O'Leary. She has The Road Trip coming out. But I read her, I read The Switch by her, and then promptly got everything else she's written. So those are my lately reads. Those all sound great, and I will include links to them in the show notes for this episode. We also have to take a moment to talk about your book, Lacey, which when this episode drops will have been on shelves for a week. It is your debut novel. It's called The Layover. It has a fantastic cover, a fantastic premise, and I'm just so excited for you. Could you share a little bit about the book with our listeners? I think it's like, it couldn't be more perfect for summer reading, especially. Yay, that's the goal. Yeah, I, well, I'm a flight attendant. I've been a flight attendant most of my adult life. And um, so it's a lot of just like what happens on the planes and stuff. But it's about a flight attendant who gets engaged. This is like the first page, so it's not a spoiler, but she gets engaged and she's been in a relationship with this guy and they're both looking for stability and companionship. So it's kind of been understood the whole time that if they're going to do this together, she's not going to for work be gone weekly, three days a week. So they get engaged and she goes on her last work trip ever. And it's supposed to just be a little three day by the book work trip, but um, they end up having having maintenance issues and getting stuck in Belize. And that's the book. I love it. Also Belize, not a terrible place to get stuck. Um, listeners, I'm actually going to be running a giveaway for the layover. So if you're listening to this episode, the day it drops, be sure to check out SSR's Instagram tomorrow and through the rest of the week so that you can get yourself a copy. And I will also be sure to link it in the show notes for those who want to learn more and get a copy for themselves if you don't win the giveaway, or if you just want to buy one right now, because you can't wait another minute to find out if you win the giveaway. Lacey, congratulations on the book. I'm so excited for you. And it's just been so fun talking with you about Sweet Valley. So thank you for your time. Thank you. This has been really fun. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.